Welcome to Center Ice, everybody. This is Mac here, as always, with Matt. Finally, we're getting you that Atlantic Division preview. We know we've been promising it for a while. Long story short, we've had some issues with the recording via Skype, and some. we've tried all kinds of other options. It's, you're used to using a studio, and you have to get used to doing something else. But today, we're using Discord, and so far, it's working out great. So hopefully, we'll be back on a more regular schedule going forward. But anyway, let's talk about the Atlantic Division. But before we start, Center Ice is brought to you by the National Podcast Network. You can follow them on Twitter at NationalPodNet. And you can also look for them in your browser at nationalpodcast.network. You can find us, as well as many other great podcast the site continues to grow it's a great little community highly recommend listening to any of them so the atlantic division i mean we saved it for last because we are the most familiar with it our two favorite teams are in the atlantic division and we've been following this division really since we were kids right yeah we've been following the atlantic division for years really and i tend to follow the pacific division fairly closely as well, but nothing compared to uh, what the Atlantic Division has to offer. And you and I have said it throughout the entire preview shows that the Atlantic Division really is one of the most competitive divisions. I'd say in all of sports, you've got a whole bunch of real top-heavy teams that are really, really good teams. And just looking at the... uh, Atlantic Division standings early on so far, we're seeing a lot of teams that have gone off to a really hot start, and then there's some teams in the middle, and then, well, there's the teams that are tanking, and that's what I find intriguing about the Atlantic, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again here, is the Atlantic Division is really the best of both worlds in hockey, if you think about it. If you're a team, if you want to tank, the Atlantic Division is the one to be in, and if your team wants to play some competitive, fun hockey, like we've seen a lot, the Atlantic Division is where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. Highly competitive. I mean, if you look at just the standings right now, six points between first and fifth in the division. And then and you've got the team in sixth, who we'll talk about in just a minute, at 14 points. And then you've got the team's at the bottom with just nine points. Really, you know, you compare the Atlantic Division, and the only division that, for me, comes close right now is the Pacific. And the Pacific has been a great story early this season. We talked about that on our last show. Really a highly competitive division with six teams. And, you know, if San Jose gets it together, seven teams competing for playoff spots. Well, you and I can talk about San Jose in another episode. You and I, I'm sure, both have our thoughts on what's been going on out on the West Coast, but we'll stick to the East Coast for now. Uh, let, let's get right in to the teams, and as always, we'll go by the order of the standings last year. So even though they aren't in first at the moment, the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning get to step into the batter's box first, and a very intriguing start for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I think. A lot of people, and I'll put myself in that category as well, thought Tampa wouldn't be as hot as they were to start the season 
as they were last year. And I think there's good reason to think of that. They were just scorching for the first half of the season. They they barely lost any. They ended up winning, I think it was 65 games or something. Hey, it was absolutely ridiculous. But Tampa has been really inconsistent for me the uh, for the first few weeks of the season. That I've seen a really good Tampa Bay team, and I've seen a really bad Tampa Bay team. And for me, it, it's not just one single issue. It seems that either the whole team is on or the whole team is off. That's just what I see when I watch the Tampa Bay Lightning. And it's not that they've checked out. It's just they seem a little lost out there at times, don't you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. They're just not quite clicking the way they should be. And, you know, we've said this before. This is the best team on paper of of almost any team in the league. I mean, they're certainly up there with, with all the other Stanley Cup contenders in terms of who they've got. But like you said, I mean, it, it was a tough end to the season for them because, first of all, you basically rolled through everyone and just dominated your way to a president's trophy. And then you get swept the first round by Columbus. And then, you know, it. this is not me just saying this, but this is probably how the players feel. You feel like you failed. You feel like a failure. You feel like, you know, we went this far and we have such a good team and our team isn't as good this year. And now we have to kind of figure out where we're at. And I still believe that this is a very good team. But, uh, you know, much like San Jose, you know, if this continues and they're kind of fighting for a playoff spot and, you know, maybe around wild card territory, I don't think it's it's a bold prediction to say we're going to see some changes in Tampa Bay. And I think the thing is for Tampa Bay is really they only have another year or two of their window, in my opinion. If you look at their salary cap situation and all the guys they have to sign, they just signed Vasilevsky to a long-term huge contract, and they just signed Braden Point to a bridge deal. There's no guarantees Braden Point is staying after that bridge deal finishes. So, I mean, this is not the kind of start you wanted for Tampa Bay. You know, if, if you ask them, they would say, we expect to be in the top three in the division the entire season. Well, lucky for Tampa Bay, it still is pretty early on in the season. And if they string some wins together, they really can turn this around. But just looking at the team, and you and I have said this for a couple years now, it's never been a lack of scoring. Yeah, there's been a couple games where the scoring's been a little questionable. But for the most part, Tampa's pretty good on the scoring side. The The real question is the defense. And as I mentioned, you and I have been saying this for a couple years now, the, the defense for Tampa Bay isn't quite what it mm-hmm. should be. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing the struggles this year. You just... Look at some of their defensemen. It's not all that good. Of course, Victor Hedman's out with a lower body injury. That's certainly not helping the defensive core right now. Kevin Shattenkirk, I think he's done okay in Tampa Bay, but he certainly isn't what he once was when he was in St. Louis. And just from top to bottom, the defense isn't horrible. It's certainly not the worst in the league, but to compete for a cup, it's certainly not a defensive core that 
you say right away, this is a defensive core that's going to shut down any team with one minute left with a 2-1 lead in the Stanley Cup final. Absolutely. And the other thing is, and I think people have, have continued to appreciate just how good he is, especially when he's injured, is Victor Hedman's currently out with an injury. And if you don't really comprehend how much he means to this team, just take a look how they play when he's on the shelf. I mean, he makes a massive difference. You know, this guy is arguably the best defenseman in the league. But, you know, I think it's not only with his play on the ice, it's the kind of person he is, the kind of leader he is. You know, he leads by example. He's not very, he's not kind of a, he's a very quiet guy. But, you know, I think everybody in that dressing room is missing the presence of Victor Hedman on and off the ice right now. And I think that's a big reason why they've had kind of a sputtering start to the season. Absolutely. Victor Hedman is a real heart and soul guy. And as you mentioned, you can tell how big of a difference he makes when he's on the ice versus when he's off the ice. He's a real anchor on that defensive back. And it, and having him out of there, it, it's not helping Tampa Bay's case at all. And you can see that the, just how inconsistent the uh, goaltending has been for Tampa Bay, just looking at Andre Vasilevsky's game-by-game game record. This is the past three or four games here, Mac. The overall stats for the season at first don't sound too, too bad. They're not great, but they're not horrible. A 312 goals against average with a 904 save percentage, which isn't horrible. But then you uh, get into the game-by-game game record. The last game against the Islanders, four goals against on 25 shots with an 840 save percentage. And then the game before that, a 927 save percentage. Well, saving 38 shots. And there was one game back on October 19th, I'm sure you remember that one, where the Avalanche went into Tampa Bay and just embarrassed the Lightning. A 750 save percentage in that one. He gave up six goals on 24 shots. So you can see the inconsistency with the goaltending and the defense there. There's been two, he goes two or three games where he does very well, and the team does pretty well at least save percentage-wise, and then it just seems to fall off the next game. You think he's turning things around. You think the defense seems to have finally figured things out, and then they have a stinker of a game. Yeah, well, uh, speaking of Hedman, good news for Tampa Bay Lightning fans. He returned to practice in Sweden, and of course the Lightning will be playing in the Global Series against the Buffalo Sabres, so I'm kind of looking forward to that. Um, a nice little Atlantic Division uh, battle between those two teams. Buffalo's had a great start to the season. And, uh, you know, all things considered, the NHL continues to do a great job of promoting their game overseas. Yeah, I loved it when the Sens were in the uh, Global Series a couple years ago. And it's a lot of fun. It's it's just very hard on teams, though. You have to remember that. You're yeah. traveling across the ocean. You're there for three or four days, maybe more depending on your team's schedule. You have to adjust to the time zone. You have to adjust to a new country. And then you play two back-to-back games, and then you have to fly back. And even though the NHL does give you some time to adjust to your normal time zone when you get back, it, it is very tough because you tend to have a tight – 
tighter schedule after you do the global series. I noticed that with the Sens when they did it. And it it's a lot of fun. Players will say that right up front. They love doing this. But it does make it for a tighter schedule. And that can be real tough on your body, particularly for someone returning to the lineup. And not sure if Victor Hedman's going to be able to play in the global series. That's yet to be determined. But it is going to be tough on Tampa Bay and Buffalo after the global series, at least for a few weeks. And I noticed the Sens in particular struggled when they came back. They were, this was back in 2017, 2018. So there were good expectations and they split the global series and then they come back and they end up going on a three or four game losing streak. And you know, the rest is kind of history. So you got to be a bit careful. You got to be in the right set of mind. You got to be prepared to go over seas and do this and then you got to be ready to hit the ground running when you get back because you know your opponents won't care that you went overseas and are a bit jet-legged yeah i mean we'll see it's different for every team uh it may affect kind of a bit of an older team like tampa bay more than it will affect buffalo who's much younger overall but it will definitely affect them and the nice thing at least for buffalo is they have their bye week uh almost right after that global series um but yeah i mean like if you just look at the tampa bay lightning and you look at some of the stats for some of these players i mean stamkos 13 points in 13 games he's a minus four kucherov 11 points in 13 games this is a guy who ran away with the scoring title last year braden point 10 points in 10 games maybe surprisingly kevin shattenkirk 10 points in 13 games. Victor Hedman, he's only played 11 games, but he does have nine points and he is a minus two. But I think more than usual, the scoring depth is is becoming a bit of an issue for Tampa Bay, at least right now. I mean, you go down the list and Johnson and Palat each have nine points. Sergachev has eight. Sorelli, six. Killorn, six. Yanni Gord, five. Ryan McDonough, five. But then you look at the rest of the players on the roster. Pat Maroon, three. Of course, he's on injured reserve right now. Cedric Paquette, one. Jameel Smith, one. Carter Verhage, one. Corey Conacher, none. Etc. But I think the biggest problem for Tampa Bay right now is if you look at their goal differential. And I'm a big believer in that stat. Last year, their goal differential was fantastic this year negative three so far in the season now the good thing for tampa bay is if you look at the teams ahead of them they're really not that far ahead of them and you consider this start as a slow start for tampa bay and a team that should get things going you know montreal's eight five and two and is ahead of them by only four points florida seven three and four ahead of them by four points toronto eight five and three ahead of them by five points so this is not an insurmountable um deficit for the lightning to rally back from you know what i mean yeah i'd say compared to the san jose sharks who i'd say are in a very similar situation both teams had high expectations coming into the season and both have certainly struggled out of the gate i'd say the lightning are in a much better position here even though the sharks are in a tough Pacific Division, and not too, too far behind 
the Vegas Golden Knights, only nine points, and that can be made up. But the Lightning are only six points back, and I think they're in a much better position to turn things around. And I'm not overly concerned yet if they keep this up through the month of November and we pass American Thanksgiving and we're not seeing a whole lot of changes, even with Victor Hedman back in the lineup, then I'll start to get concerned. Yeah, I agree. And I was speaking about their goal differential last year. I mean, this is a crazy stat. So I'll let you guys hear this one. Tampa Bay last year with the incredible run they went on, 128 points, of course, won the President's Trophy, had a goal differential of 103. You know what the next best goal differential was in the league, Matt? I'm going to go with Boston, and I'm going to say, I think Boston would be plus 60-ish. Nope. It's the Calgary Flames at 62. So oh, they well, I... almost, they they had like 40 more goals than the next best team. And just out of, for your uh, curiosity, Boston had a 44 goal differential last year. That's still very good. Yes. But here, here's the other thing, just before we, wrap up and move on, I gotta say, uh, with Tampa, yeah, it's great that you're scoring that much, and my dad brought this up, and I think he raises a very good point, is when you're outscoring teams by four, five, six, even maybe seven some nights, you're, the problem is, is that your defense lacks, you say, I don't need to defend, we're just gonna outscore these guys, and I think we've seen that the past two, three years in Tampa Bay, and I think because of it, the defensive side of the game has uh, been a bit lax compared to other teams. Yeah, that's definitely possible. Um, And I think both of us are on the same page here. You know, it is a slow start for Tampa Bay. There are definitely some red flags there. Um, You know, this is a team that probably overachieved a little bit last year, but, you know, they were at the same time one of the best teams on paper in the league. Like you said, they were just outscoring everyone. And obviously, Andre Vasilevsky had a fabulous year and, of course, took home some hardware in the offseason. But if you look ahead to next year for Tampa Bay, it's not that bad a situation because really the only big name that you have to worry about is Mikhail Sergachev. And he's an RFA. He'll be 22 next year. So he's coming off his ELC and they are are going to have to either sign him or trade him. And they have just under $2 million in cap space. But then you've got, you know, Cedric Paquette signed until 2021-2022. Andre Palat signed until 2022-2023. And Braden Point is a RFA again in that year that I just mentioned. So you still are going to have the same core. But I think, you know, I agree with you. The biggest question I have is, how often can you just keep this revolving door of new defensemen coming in every year? And this year it's Jan Ruda, Kevin Shattenkirk, and Luke Shen. So, you know, we'll see. Everybody agrees that the the top-end defenders for the Tampa Bay Lightning are really good. 
But after that, it's it's highly questionable. And, of course, they did lose Anton Strahlman, who is one of their better defensive defensemen, to the Florida Panthers. So I think I think you and I are in agreement on this one. You know, we still expect this team to be a playoff team um, and de- probably top three in the division, but definitely some concerns early on for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Absolutely. So... Let's move on down a peg. They finished second last year, but with how they're playing right now, they're making a very good case to finish top of the Atlantic Division this year. They're off to a scorching start. The Boston Bruins, 11-2-2 through 15 games so far. and They're looking real good doing it. Yeah, they are. I'll say this because this is just my opinion, and yes, I am a Leafs fan. Uh, not as much as a hardcore Leafs fan as I used to be, but you know I still follow the team and I'm still a fan of them. To me, I don't know if I can name a single team that plays a better team game than the Boston Bruins. You're talking about every single player buys into not only bringing offense but playing defensively, killing penalties. You know, the the coach Bruce Cassidy has done a great job of. You know, just having his players understand all the little things, all the little things that you have to do to win a championship. And they haven't won one under him yet, but, you know, let me tell you, every single year this team impresses me. And, you know, they have had a few personnel changes, but it seems like it's it's almost a seamless transition for players when they come into this team and they play under Bruce Cassidy and the staff. On Boston, and obviously they've they've had a long and proud tradition of great players, championships, etc. And I mean, really, if you look at the way they finished last season, not the way they started, they had a bit of a shaky start to last year. But if you look at the way they finished and the run they went on to get to the Stanley Cup, to me, this team has carried that that momentum and kind of said to themselves, hey, we're a really good team. You know, why can't we win the division title? Even though, you know, maybe that's not their goal. I don't think they want to win the President's Trophy. I don't think they want to, you know, try and get 120 points, etc. But I think they started to realize uh, and have the confidence in themselves that, you know, hey, we went on a run to Stanley Cup. We beat some really good teams along the way. You know, why can't we carry that momentum into this season? And, you know, what a start it's been for them this season, not only, you know, offensively. Of course, you've got, I think it was one, two, three in the NHL in scoring. With uh, right Pasternak, now, one, two. Pasternak and Marshawn. And, you know, I've talked about David Pasternak a lot. I think this this is the year where he really, he was already a, a great player, but to me, this is the year where he's showing you that he's elite. He's among, you know, the top 20, 25 players in the league. And he has shown great consistency and great growth as really a superstar. But now, you know, he's vaulted himself into a whole different conversation. And, you know, the thing about David Pasternak is he's not just an offensive player. He, he plays well defensively. He's tenacious, and, you know, that Boston line continues to be one of the best lines in the league. Yeah, 
David Pasternak, Brad Marchand, the whole Bruins team. Bruce Cassidy has been playing, as you mentioned, a true team game. They play great offense and they play great defense. And to me, that's what makes them so dangerous is David Pasternak can not only put up a whole bunch of points every night, he can come back and he can save a few goals himself. And same with the entire Bruins team. Boston, it's almost like they're playing with a chip on their shoulder. If you think about it, they uh, made it to Game 7 against the Blues last year, and really they ran into a tough, tough goaltender and Jordan Bennington who was playing out of this world in Game 7. He made some spectacular saves against some of the Bruins' best scorers in that Game 7, and you could you could see the look on a lot of the Bruins' players after that Game 7, though. We've gone this far, we've played so well, and we fell just short. And now you can see them coming into the season that we want to prove that it's not a fluke and we mm-hmm. want to get back there. And they've got the uh, cast to do it. Yeah, you mentioned the defense quickly. Just I'll read off these names quickly. And you, you bet te- how many teams around the league would die to have a defensive line with this. You got Carlo, Chara, Clifton, Grizzlick, Kemper, Krug, McAvoy, and Miller's out on the IR and so is John Moore. But that's an incredible defense, defensive depth there, if you ask me. Some of the best in the league. And you've already t- brought up the forward group. It's an incredible forward group. Arguably one of the best lines in the league with Brad Marchand, Pasternak, and Bergeron. And I don't see any reason why they're going to slow down. I think they may get into a couple bumps here and there. But to me, Boston has a very good chance of uh, keeping this going and winning the Atlantic Division. I don't see Tuka Rask having any struggles. Of course, he did struggle a little at times last year, and I think he's fully healthy. And I think this is the best I've seen Tuka Rask play in ages, and and Boston couldn't be happier with what they're seeing from their team. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned that we were talking about just the team play and just how tenacious and great defensively this team is. Number one goal differential in the league now the team that's second might surprise you what do you think who do you think is second in the league in goal differential hmm uh, that's tough that's real tough it, but it is a tough one i don't think i would have got go, this i'm gonna go with vancouver oh okay <laughs> it is vancouver what well done vancouver's well vancouver's been playing very well and they have. They've been fantastic. Thatcher Demko's been great. I, I, I like what I'm seeing from Vancouver, just to talk on them ever so quickly. I know I was a bit skeptical of what they could do during the Pacific show, but I do remember both of us saying, if goaltending holds out like we think it will, and the, their young guns play like they can, this Vancouver team, the, the sky's the limit, and they're showing us how good they are right now. I really hope they keep it going. Because they're a fun team to watch. Yeah, absolutely. So just wrapping up on Boston, I mean, we fully expect this team to be either at the top or in the running to win this division. I think both of us had them finishing number one in the division despite Tampa Bay's success last year. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. Uh, As I mentioned with Tampa, I think both of us thought that they would – Come back down to earth a little. They were just putting up ridiculous numbers next year. And Boston, 
is just so consistent. They've been consistent for over 10 years now, and uh, give credit to the, the Boston Bruins organization. It's really hard to be this consistently good for this long, and mm. they found a way to keep it going. Absolutely. All right. Let's move on to the next one. All right. Well, I think you've got a lot to say on this next team because <laughs> you messaged me after every game they frustratingly lose to vent. Not that I blame you because I'd say the expectations were pretty good for the Maple Leafs this year, and I think they've fallen short. Yeah, I mean, I, I just the thing that's the most frustrating about this Maple Leafs team is you look at this team in terms of what they have and the amount of teams that would die to have the core they have. And, you know, Freddie Anderson. But there's so many issues with the way they play. I mean, they're so inconsistent the way they play defensively. Right now, they're taking too many penalties. To me, Mitch Marner hasn't been where I would expect him to be after signing that big contract. You know, to me, he's looked like he's not quite trying as hard as he usually does. Um you know, obviously, Tavares just got back from an injury. And, you know, we beat the Kings last night. And I, I was actually out at a movie. I saw a Joker with a good friend of mine. So we were a little shaken after that one. But um, I saw that they won the game. But again, like, you shouldn't have a close game with with the LA Kings, who are one of the worst teams in the league. Mm. And, you know... You should beat them handily. And the amount of times that Freddie Anderson saved their bacon again, it's just, it's too many. And if they expect this to last as like a strategy for, you know, potentially going far in the playoffs, I'll tell you what right now, they're they're going out in the first round again. If they continue hmm. to play the way they are. Now, that said, I will say this, and, you know, this is something that I, firmly believe. Kyle Dubas has had Sheldon Keefe working with him for it seems like forever. When he was GM of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, Sheldon Keefe was the head coach. Okay? So Kyle Dubas, before he became the GM, Lou Lamorello was the GM of the Leafs. He was working with the Marlies and he was an assistant GM at the time. Kyle Dubas has no track record, really kind of familiarity with Mike Babcock. Mike Babcock was hired under Lou Lamorello. It's my belief that Sheldon Keefe will be the next head coach of the Maple Leafs. The only question is when. Because people here in Toronto and really just Leaf fans everywhere are getting really frustrated with Mike Babcock, who, you know, he's a Hockey guy, he seems to think that he's a really good head coach. And I got to be honest with you, Matt, you know, I think the pinnacle of his head coaching career was when he coached that Detroit Red Wings undermanned team to a playoff spot. And I think it was like the 25th straight season. But for me since then, I have been very unimpressed with him as a head coach. And I can tell you that I would much rather have someone else leading the Maple Leafs because, first of all, I don't think he's very good at teaching defense. I don't know how good the coaches are that they have at teaching defense. 
But that, that's what this team needs more than anything. Everybody knows what this team can do offensively, okay? Like, yes, they can score like no other team. They've got a great power play, etc. But if you think you're going to win game 7-6 come Stanley Cup playoffs, you're out of your freaking mind. Well, so I'm glad you I'll, 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 I'll end my commentary slash rant there. Well, I'm glad you brought up Mike Babcock because there certainly is this feeling in hockey circles that he's on real thin ice with the Maple Leafs right now. And as you mentioned, they played a, a real weak team in the LA Kings last night. I'd expect Ottawa to grind out a win versus the Kings, but when Mike Babcock says this grinded out win versus the Kings is good for us, I don't think so. You gotta beat the LA Kings handily. The Kings, as you and I have mentioned on this show, are not that good this year. The Leafs have a lot of firepower. You should be able to outscore them, and I'm not expecting a shutout, but you should play a lot better, and that game shouldn't have been, shouldn't have been nearly as close as it was, and the Leafs, I think, are certainly keeping an eye on potentially pulling the plug on Mike Babcock. In my opinion, I think Mike Babcock's a decent coach. But if you look at the teams that he's coached over his coaching career, just look at Detroit, a prime example. He started coaching in Detroit when Detroit was really at their peak. You had Dasu, yes. Zetterberg, yes. Lindstrom. Osgood was in the twilight of his career, but he was still very good. That's just oh my god, Hashik, McCarty, Iserman. Like, like, I think in my, I could go behind the bench. You and I could go behind the bench. There are some teams that don't require a whole lot of coaching, you know. Exactly, and 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 that and that was a veteran team. team. Yes, it was a veteran team. The Leafs are a young team. By the time Mike Babcock was coaching, guys like Zetterberg and Lindstrom and Holmstrom, you you just tell them, go score goals. You guys know what to do. And you guys know how to defend goals. Where the Leafs, these guys are still young kids. They're only, some of them are only a year or two older than I am, and some of them are younger than I am. And they're still learning how to play hockey at the NHL level. And you have Mike Babcock coach Team Canada to a gold medal, but just like Detroit, that was pretty much an all-star team. They're, they were going to go win no matter what. The only competition you really faced was the United States. And yeah, I like yeah. I like Mike Babcock. I think he's a decent coach. But I don't know if you've ever heard this. And these are all allegations. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But Mike Commodore, uh, I'm sure you remember him. Yeah. He, he once played under Mike Babcock. And... He went on a sports radio show, I think it was a year ago, and he just dug into Mike Babcock. He said a bunch of things about Mike, ba- Mike Babcock that really raised an eyebrow. And I, I've i been meaning to dig deeper into it, and I'll, I'll have to send you the link later, Matt, because it's quite interesting to hear what he has to say on it. And if what he's saying is true, I can see why the Leafs aren't really playing for him. Of course, these are allegations. A lot of what Mike Commodore said was Babcock's an egotist. He doesn't really want to play all his players. He he kind of has a a ranking of players that he likes more than others. He thinks that he you have to play the way he wants. Things like that. 
And it was very interesting to hear that. So I think there's more that meets the eye about what's going on in Toronto. And I think Kyle Dubas is certainly thinking about pulling the plug on uh, Mike Babcock. And we might even see it before the end of the month if the, the inconsistencies continue. I mean, yeah, we'll see. And and the one thing you touched on that I think I need to highlight here is this is still a very young team, okay? Like, the average age of their forwards is 25.1. The average age of their defense is 26.3. Their goalies are older at average age of 29.5. But, you know, the point is, with a young team, you have to expect that they're probably not going to be, you know, super consistent, and they're going to make mistakes. But... I think the thing that's most frustrating for me, and I think Leaf fans will agree with me on this one, is just sometimes this team will put together this complete game effort, and you'll say to yourselves, oh my god, if they just played that way for maybe 75% of the games they played, you know, this team could be really, really good and a threat to potentially win it all, but... Honestly, Matt, I just I don't have that confidence. And it's partially Mike Babcock, and it's partially, you know, the players we've got. As much as I love the offense that we've got, I don't know how many players we have here that are good at playing defense. Um, I mean, I don't know how many players we have that are, you know, good and there are in the defensive end, like... Even like Tyson Berry, you know, the reason he was acquired was A, because, you know, you needed some defense, but mostly because you wanted to kickstart the offense with another offensive defenseman. Now, Tyson Berry is not known as a good two-way defenseman. You know, he's kind of average, but he's known for producing offensively. And I, I think you and I have had just about enough of Cody CC. And I'm really hoping that he's not back here next year. So, like, as much as it's frustrating watching the Leafs with this current core, and especially with Mike Babcock, there's still there's still a lot of potential and a lot of things that could change with this team. So, you know, but at the same time, it, it's it's frustrating because you've you've really built up your core. You know, you've signed all your guys long term you know you've made this plan in terms of who you're going with you've made some key acquisitions but you just look at the way this team plays inconsistently night in night out you know some nights they get absolutely crushed it's just they're just too much of a wild card for me if you know what i mean they're just like i don't know what to expect every time they play yeah the Leafs are going to be a real interesting story to watch because on paper they should be much better and we've seen them be much better and we've talked about this I'd say for two years now. We've seen the best the Leafs can be and then we've seen the inconsistent struggles. So uh, Toronto is certainly going to be a team to keep our eyes on and I still have them in the playoffs. I'm not too worried about that unless injuries really start to hurt them. Right. Yeah, I think they're definitely still good enough to make the playoffs. It's just, I don't care what seed they are. Like, I I don't care if they're a wild card team, Matt. What I care about is how this team plays going into the playoffs. And 
if they continue to play as they're playing right now, I'm writing them off round one. I just, I am. Yeah, I would agree on that. Uh, par- that was partially the reason why I had Boston beating them last year is Toronto, when they play really well, can easily beat Boston. But to me, they were too inconsistent last year to really hammer yes. out and beat Boston. And what a lot of people forget is they had that series. They could have won the series at home, and they didn't. They went back to Boston, and they lost. And I'll tell you what the most frustrating part is, and I'm not even a Leafs fan, is, in my opinion, if the Leafs got by the Bruins there, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't have made it to at least the conference final, maybe yes. even the Stanley Cup final. Because yep. you look at the team that they would have faced after. Let's assume that all the results stayed the same. They would have faced Columbus, and I think Columbus would have given them a six-game series, but Toronto is a better team than Columbus was last year, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Frederick Anderson, I think, would have outdueled Sergei Bobrovsky. And then you get into the conference final. Carolina, they were out of gas by the time they got to the conference final. Carolina might have won a game, maybe two games against Toronto, but Toronto's better than that. I see Toronto win the Stanley Cup final. And do they win it? That's tough to say because St. Louis was very, very good. But I, I think you and I, mean, I could both think. Yeah. I think we could both make a good case to say Toronto could have very well been a Stanley Cup Finals last year if they beat Boston. Because as soon as you knock out Boston, all the other real competitors were gone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And we mentioned last year that we fully expected that the Stanley Cup Final, the East representative, would be out of the Atlantic Division, and it was with Boston. So, I mean... Just to wrap on the Leafs, so far, 8, 5, and 3. Uh, do have a goal differential of plus 3, which is not great, but it's not terrible either. Um, very inconsistent to start the season. Uh, if you look at their next little, little bit of upcoming games here, they play the Golden Knights tomorrow. That will be... a Really a matchup of very similar teams, highly offensive teams that aren't great defensively. You know, look out, guys. That could be a high-scoring game. They play Philadelphia in Toronto um, on Saturday, and then they play Chicago, and then they play the Islanders. So their next three games are very winnable. I don't know how good I feel about them going into the into Long Island and getting a win there with how how well defensively that team plays. Um, But, again, you know, I would expect them to win two out of their next three games. And if they don't, again, the the hot seat for Mike Babcock will continue to get hotter. Yeah, I think that's a good way to wrap on him. So let's move on down to a team that was better than some teams that actually made the playoffs points-wise, but they just missed out last year. And just like the Leafs, they've been kind of inconsistent to start the season this year, the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, Montreal, um, I would say, although they've been inconsistent, you know, I would say they've had a fairly decent start to the season just because of, you know, what I'm noticing and how they play. 
I think Joel Armia is having a really nice season. You know, he's a guy who once upon a time was a high draft choice, and he's really, you know, he's worked on his game a lot. He's been anything from a bottom six forward to a scratch. He's been traded a couple times, but really it seems like he's found a home on, on that Montreal Canadiens top line with Max Domi. Um, and, you know, I think Montreal, as much as, you know, we talked about Toronto, they're kind of a similar team to Toronto in the way they play. Um, that line, by the way, quote unquote, their top line, they kind of have two top lines that are working for them right now. Jonathan Druin with Max Domi and Joel Armia, um, and then Thomas Tatar with Philip Deneau and Brendan Gallagher. But really, to me, this team has shown that they're never really out of any game. They've got great speed. They've got great skill. I mean, there, there was a time a few years ago when Montreal was one of the slowest teams in the league. That is not true anymore. You know, they're never out of any game. And they've got, I think Keith Kincaid has provided a solid kind of insurance policy for Carey Price. He has been pretty good for Montreal, I would say, early on this season. And, um, you know, I think this is kind of where we expected them to be. Like, if anything, they were going to be fighting for a wild card spot. We didn't think they were good enough to win a division spot. And I still don't think that. Having said no. that, you know, you have to be, I think this is a this is a fairly good start for them. I mean, you look at kind of the scoring depth that they've had. Nick Suzuki has had six points as a rookie in 15 games. Jonathan Druen is off to a much better start this season after being really called out in the preseason by his general manager. And I think rightfully so. 12 points in 15 games for him. Thomas Tatar, 13 points in 15 games. Brennan Gallagher, 13 points in 15 games as well. And even Shea Weber's pitching in offensively with 10 points. And then the goaltending, um, you know, Keith Kincaid's only played three games. And I don't think the numbers reflect how good he's been because, as I mentioned, this is a highly offensive team. This is a team that is not great defensively. And so the goalie numbers don't look great. You know, Carey Price is... 7401 with a 2.75 GAA and a 9.10 save percentage. But that does not reflect how good Carey Price is. So, you know, I I'm encouraged to see what this team does this season. Um I think the biggest thing for them is, is to have a good first half because last year that bad first half really killed them at the end of the day. You know, if they were just a little bit better would have probably been in the playoffs and then who knows you know maybe you would have won around so we'll see what the Montreal Canadiens do this season but you know I'm I'm encouraged with what I'm seeing this season from them well Montreal is doing what about what I expected them to do I think uh, they're still an up-and-coming team they're gonna have struggles uh, I uh, I'm with you I don't see them in a division spot, I see them in a wild card spot, and that okay, may hold be on. tough. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Start again. You cut out. We'll just edit that out. Go. All right. Well, 
I'm with you on Montreal. I don't see them in a division spot this year. They're doing about what I expected them to do at the start of the season. They're going to be a team that's exciting to watch. They're going to win a good amount of games, but they're also going to have some struggles. They're going to be inconsistent at times. It's going to be tough for the goaltenders, as you mentioned. The one thing I'm keeping an eye on is Kokinami. He is out with a groin injury at the moment. He uh, was struggling a bit out of the gate from what I was seeing. He seemed a bit lost out there, and that may have been due to a lingering injury. Only three points in the games that he played, and it's very well possible that as part of injury, he played 12 games, three points, a minus one. It's not all that great, but remember, he's only 19 years old, and Mm -hmm. a lot of times players do struggle in their second or third year. Of course, the sophomore slump is, in my opinion, is a real thing. We've seen it before. We'll see it again. And if Okinami returns from injury and is putting up points like we saw last year, I think it's it'll certainly benefit Montreal. And I think it may just give them an edge to sneak into the playoffs. Because yeah, they're we'll going to need that depth scoring. Oh, absolutely. They need, they're going to need everyone to contribute if they want to make it in. Because as you and I mentioned off the top of the show, the Atlantic's very tough. And the Metropolitan is going to be certainly competitive this year. So Montreal, I think they have a shot. I have them just outside the playoffs. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I, I'm agree. I'm going to agree with you on that one. It's just, I don't know if the team is good enough. And it's not that they're bad. I mean, to me, this team gets better every year. And the other thing is they're very young, okay? The average age of their forwards right now is 25.9, but that doesn't include Kote Kinyemi, who's on the IR at age 19. Very good young player. And then their average age of their defense is 26.6, and then the goalies are older at average age of 31. But again, this is a young team. You have to expect some mistakes. Um, I don't know if they really have a system yet that all the players have bought into. But, you know, if this team can start playing well on both ends of the ice and really kind of establish a system that all the players buy into, you know, this could be a dangerous team because they have all that speed and skill. They've got experience with guys like Jeff Petrie. Shea Weber, Brendan Gallagher, Tatar, you know, they have those veteran guys there that have been there and done that before. So we'll see. I would say it's it's definitely good to see them doing, you know, decently well early on this year. But I, I think I'll agree with you. I think they're just outside the playoffs again this year. Now, moving down another peg from last year's standings, here's a team that I think will be in the playoffs this year. And from what I've seen so far, they they give me a lot of hope from what I've seen. The Florida Panthers, I really like what I'm seeing from them. They're a fun team to watch. You and I gushed over the offseason they had all summer. We kept saying they've got Coach Q. They've, got, they've already got a great core there. Now they've got the goaltending. Let's see what they can do. And Florida has been pretty good so far. Uh, I like what... I've been seeing a few inconsistencies. I think the defense could be a bit better, but the scoring is certainly there. And uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, no surprise, is going to do what Sergei Bobrovsky does. The stats are a little lower because I, I, and I, 
I chalk it up to the same situation as Carey Price is the defense isn't quite there. 882 save percentage with a 3.36 goals against average. I don't think that's reflective of what, what Sergei Bobrovsky can do. I think that Florida's defense is the only thing really holding them back at the moment. But yeah. I think I think it'll turn around. I think it's just like the, the Habs. They're a slightly older team, but compared to a lot of teams in the league, they're still a relatively young team, and I think that they're still trying to figure things out under a new coach. Whenever you have a new coach bringing a new system, you have to learn, and even though you do it all through preseason, it takes time to adjust. Coach Hugh, of course, is very demanding on the defensive system. It's one of the reasons why the Hawks won cups under him. Yeah, he was able to get them the score at their maximum efficiency, but people often forget how good they were on the defensive side of the puck too. And I think there still is a bit of an adjustment period going on with Florida, but the scoring's been there. I I am confident that as the season goes along, the defense will get better. And the one nice thing they have going for them is Sergei Bobrovsky, despite what the stats are saying, will be there a good amount of the time to help them out. Having a solid goaltender makes all the difference in the world sometimes, and I think we're seeing it in Florida. Yeah, I mean, if you look at last year, and we've talked about this a lot, really over the last few years during this show, one of the things that was such a pressing need for the Panthers is just having a capable starting goaltender. You know, Roberto Luongo, despite the great career he had, was... You know, he had some moments in Florida as a good goalie, but overall, you know, league standard-wise, he was average or below average compared to other goalies. And last year, you know, their last year with him in net, they had a negative 13 goal differential at the end of the year. So far this year, they're right at zero. So not great, not terrible, but again, better than last year. They've had a better start to the season, and I think... Like you said, I think that's a great point you made. You have to expect a bit of an adjustment period. New coach, you've got a bunch of new players here. Obviously, Bobrovsky, Strahlman, Achari, Brian Boyle, who they just signed, um, and Connolly. So, and Connolly, speaking of him, off to a nice little start, 10 points in 14 games, chipping in with five goals. But yeah, I mean, I think... One thing I'm not sure of with this team is, is it enough? Like, at the beginning of the season, looking at everything they added, I thought, you know, I feel like this team is a playoff team. But now, I I don't know. Do I think they're better than a team like Buffalo? Yes, I do. Do I think they're that much better than Montreal? Again, I'm... I'm not sold yet. I will say that, you know, I do feel pretty good about this team, at least as a wild card. But there are some, you know, there are definitely some concerns there. I think the most concerning for me is the play of Vincent Trocek. You know, he's had some injuries, but, you know, this is a guy who has proven that he can be a very good two-way center and chip in some offense as well. You know, this year he's, been scratched a few times. He's only played eight games. He's got six points, and he's a minus two 
you know, he's a very important player for this Florida team. And then the other thing is, you know, how does your defense hold up? You know, you've improved it. You've added Anton Strallman. Um, and obviously Ekblad is there. But at the same time, like, if you look at their defense, you know, I'll just name it off for you right now. Mackenzie Weger, Michael Matheson, Keith Yandel, Josh Brown, you know, Anton Strallman. It's good, it's better, but it's still not great. So I don't know what a reasonable expectation is for this core defensively. Yeah, it's a good point. And there still are a lot of questions with Florida. I will come out and say this. In my opinion, I think there will only be one Florida team in the playoffs this year. And I'm not sure whether it'll be Tampa Bay or Florida. I'm still leaning towards Tampa Bay. But if Florida can get their act together, there's a good chance they could be the representative from the Sunshine State this year. And I I think that what Florida fans are looking for this year is not playoffs, but they want to see some improvement. They want to see some competitive hockey, and they want to be a place where players can look as a free agent and say, Florida is up and coming. It's a great place to live. This will be a great place to play. And I think Florida is making a very compelling case to bring in some more free, top-name free agents next offseason, and I think Florida is heading in the right direction. Yes, that's for sure. I mean... The fact that they brought in Coach Q, you know, they, they're they kind of through with being a team that's on the outside looking in, and they, they want to do everything they can to make the playoffs, at least this year and going forward. You could definitely say that they've done a lot of things right lately, you know. As much as Dale Talon is praised for his work with Chicago, I think, I don't know if anybody agrees with me on this, but I His track record after that, after that run that that elite Blackhawks team went on, really not great. You know, kind of similar to Ken Holland in Detroit after his team finished making the playoffs for, I think it was 25 straight seasons. Not a great run as a GM. A lot of questionable decisions, a lot of bad signings, a lot of questionable trades. And finally, they pulled the plug on Dale Talon and they said, you know, we're bringing in new management. Yeah. Here's something I think people forget about general managers is as much as the GM generally is the final decision maker, you've got a lot of support staff around you. You've got scouts. You've got the assistant GM. You've got advisors. You've got the coaching staff. You have the owner. And all that helps the GM make the right decision. Look at Kyle Dubas as a prime example. Kyle Dubas, I'd say, for the most part in Toronto, has made pretty good moves since he's become GM. And he's got some great support staff around him, too. So it makes his job a lot easier when he has to make those staff decisions. And as soon as you take away that support staff, it gets a lot tougher on a GM, no matter how good the team is. There's a lot of new faces um, in hockey ops for them, of course. And I think you got to start with Chris Pronger. He's the president, senior vice president of hockey operations and senior advisor to the GM. And 
you know, there wasn't a it wasn't a long time ago before Pronger was really in a bad spot, you know, with ha- having the way his career ended, you know, talking about concussions. Really, he was not very involved in hockey at all. But finally, he has, um, you know, he's back in hockey and he's doing a great job as assistant GM or senior advisor to the GM for the Florida Panthers. Also, Brian McCabe is their director of player personnel. I think what they have done is not only kind of give Dale Talon a lesser role, but just have more, more people making decisions, you know. Because it's tough for one guy to make all the big decisions for a franchise, and that just rarely happens now. That that just doesn't seem like a good plan going forward. But you know, I I think I've liked a lot of the hires that the Florida Panthers have made. They've hired some analytics guys. They've they've hired more scouts. Um, I love I love the front office for the Florida Panthers, and all of these guys are invested in this team's success. And I really want to see this team succeed. I do. But at the same time, like I mentioned, it's tough for me to look at that defensive core and say, you know, I expect this to be a defensive core that can last in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Can they make the playoffs? I think they can. Can they, you know, win a round or two? I don't know. That's kind of where I stand on the Florida Panthers. Yeah, I'd say that's a good place to stand. Uh, having a good support staff around a GM really, really helps, particularly nowadays. As you mentioned, uh, it, it takes a lot of pressure off the GM. It reduces the role a bit in the main decision-making. And if you look at any of the top teams in the league right now, a lot of these GMs have really good support staff around them, helping them make these tough decisions. And I think Florida is trending in the right direction. Whether we see them make a big step forward this year remains to be seen. I'd like to see them play a bit better first before I'm really sold on them. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow, let's move down to the Buffalo Sabres, a team that was soaring out of the gate. They've cooled off a bit recently. They're now 5-4-1 and one in their last 10. But a team that's still in a pretty good position to potentially make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's been an encouraging start for Buffalo. They were white hot early in the season. They've cooled off a little bit since then. Um, I think they deserve a lot of credit for making a good decision and bringing in Ralph Kruger, who really is a fascinating guy, not just as a coach, uh, but just, you know, in kind of how he lives his life, the philosophies he has. And they really seem to like playing for him in Buffalo. So if you look at where they are right now, I mean, they're four points back of Boston. They're nine, four, and two. I don't think anybody expected them to be this good early. Their goal differential is plus five. And I would say Jack Eichel has been everywhere for them this season. You know, he may not have the totals of a Pasternak or McDavid, but, you know, certainly up there for the Buffalo Sabres. And, you know, they, I, I think they had a pretty good offseason, in my opinion. Like, they had some tough decisions to make. Um, of course, they brought in Colin Miller to solidify the defense, and he has done that. I think he's done a really nice job. 
And I think probably the more un, one of the more underrated acquisitions for them was Henry Yokoharu from the Blackhawks. Because they had to give up a good young player in Alex Nylander to get this young defenseman. But he has really done a great job and fit right in with them. He's got a goal and four assists in 15 games. I think... Um, and then the additions kind of from inside the organization have paid dividends as well. You look at this Victor Olofsson kid, you know, rookie of the month uh, for October, very well-deserved. He's got 10 points in 15 games. He's been excellent for them on the power play. And I mentioned Jack Eichel, 17 points in 15 games. I'm still waiting for Jack Eichel to really pop in terms of his production in a given season. But, you know, the way this Sabres team is playing right now and the, all the lines they're rolling out with the success they're having, you know, maybe this is the year where he breaks into that, you know, 100-point range. And speaking of the Sabres, um, I, I was talking to you about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. My friend and I are going to see them uh, November 14th against the Carolina Hurricanes at Key Bank Arena. Great price for tickets. We can't wait. We're really excited. 10th row. Well, it's going to be a Well, it's going to be a lot of fun, I'm sure. The uh the Sabres are a real intriguing team because I think a lot of people expect them to take a step forward, but I think that a, a big part of it is they finally seem to have a support group around Jack Eichel. Uh, I'm noticing that. The last few years for two or three seasons of Jack Eichel's career. It really was just him. But now we're starting to see the support cast around him. And I think Buffalo is trending in the right direction. And I think that they've got a real shot of getting into the playoffs this year. Uh, Of course, they're heading overseas like Tampa to play in the Global Series. That's going to be a lot of fun, particularly for Rasmus Dahlin and his fellow Swedes on the team. I think it's going to be a great matchup between those two teams. And Buffalo, the other thing you have to mention is the goaltending. The goaltending for Buffalo has been pretty good this year, all things considered, particularly over the past few seasons. You and I, I remember time and time again, you and I would talk about Buffalo and how bad their goaltending has been. But Kyra Hutton has been pretty good, all things considered, for Buffalo this year. And you and I talked about this over the offseason, that Buffalo needed more consistent goaltending. And Carter Hutton, I think, has delivered that this year. 6-2-1 and one with a 2.08 goals against average and a 9.28 save percentage. Those are pretty good numbers. Buffalo's goaltending has certainly gone a lot better this year. I think Carter Hutton's really been good for them. He's been consistent. He's had solid numbers. And I think Buffalo... Certainly heading in the right direction. There's a good chance they make it in the playoffs this year. Yeah, I mean, I I think I need to see more. I like what I've seen from them, like like I said, early on. Um, but at the same time, you know, again, it's such a tough division. As good as their start has been, you know, they've really been slumping lately. Their last 10, they're 5-5. Five and five after being really red hot before that. So we'll see. I, I mean, I, I'm definitely intrigued and I definitely think this team is a threat um, and they could certainly make some moves. Um, 
you know, they've got a good cap situation. Uh, I Like I said, I like all the moves that they've made. I think Jason Botterill deserves a lot of credit for what he's done with this team, really over a short period of time in terms of the contracts he signed, the contracts he's gotten rid of, etc. So, like I said, we'll see. Um, I think uh, right now, this is a team that could certainly compete for a wild card. I don't know if I feel that confident about saying they're a division team, a division playoff team, but as long as they continue to 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 play like kind of a consistent two-way game, this is certainly a team that's a threat for a playoff spot. Absolutely. Now, and technically Detroit should be next, but let's do Ottawa because <laughs> I think both of us have some interesting things to say about this team. Because okay. right now, the, the way I see the team is they're a team of cast-offs and young guns, particularly Leaf cast-offs. And I don't know if you have the notes in front of you, but Connor Brown is the leading scorer on the Ottawa Senators right oh, now. Oh, my. 12 yeah. points, Connor yeah. Brown. Hey, Connor Brown's still only, you know, 25, 26 years old. He's a good little player. And I think Sens fans will probably appreciate all the work he does. You know, he's a really hard-working player. You know, he'll play any minute like it's his last. So, I mean, like, the thing about the Ottawa Senators, and I'll let you talk about them because you're very passionate about your Ottawa Senators, is there weren't a lot of expectations going into this year. Uh, there's some encouraging signs with this group, obviously. Um, you know, you've got a, real, a pretty good young core. Thomas Shabbat finally locked up long-term, which is great news for Senators fans. There's only a couple years, I think, left on that brutal Bobby Ryan contract, so it won't be too long before that's out of the way for Ottawa. Um, I'm a little concerned with the start for uh, Colin White. has not been great for him. Um, the goaltending, again, not great. Um, very inconsistent for the Senators to start this season. Uh, I, I've seen a team that looks a little bit lost out there. How about you? Yeah, I would agree with that, but I'm not shocked by that. This is a young team that still has a lot of growing to do, and they've been very inconsistent. There's been some games where the young guns have really stepped up and they've played some great games like when they beat the Sharks and the Rangers the other night. Those were really good, solid efforts by the fans. And then they have games like last night where they just kind of had a stinker against the Islanders, ended up losing 4-1, to one, were never really in it. And mm. that's kind of what we expect from the team, a, a few bad games, and then now and again they'll pull out a win. And if you're a Sens fan, that, that's what you're expecting. You're... You'd love to get the first overall pick. It's a very deep draft. So losing isn't the worst thing if you're a Sens fan right now. And all people really want to see, and DJ Smith has said it himself, he really wants to see growth in his players. And I completely agree with him. I could care less how many wins we have in the win column at the end of the year. But if we see players like Brady Kachak, Thomas Shabbat, Colin White, Anthony Duclair grow their game, and become better players by the end of the season, I think people will be satisfied with what the Sens put on the ice this season. Uh, you mentioned Colin White. I do agree 
that he has struggled out of the gate. He's out with injury at the moment, and that's really not helping him either. Hopefully, he'll be able to get back on the ice soon and put up some better numbers because the Sens have committed a decent amount of money to him as well. Brady Kachak certainly will be getting a, a good pay pay raise when his contract is due. Brady Kachak is just so good. And I love what someone had to say a few nights ago is, imagine Brady Kachak if he was on a better team. Brady Kachak is, he's like mm. a Pasternak where when he's on the ice, everyone around him gets better. And Brady Kachak, he, he did struggle for a few games. He had a five or six game stretch where he wasn't really putting up a lot of points. But now he's finding his groove. He's had a he had a really good game in New York. He had a Gordie Howe hat trick. He set up Connor Brown for an incredible goal. And Brady Kachuk's going to do Brady Kachuk things. And to me, he's going to be one of those players in two or three years when the Sens are competitive and the Battle of Ontario will be in its full glory again. <laughs> You're going to hate Brady Kachuk, and for good reason. He's he's a bit of a pest. That's what. He's known for it's what his dad was known for, and to all a lesser the, all extent, the Kachuks are, yeah, all yeah, the are. that's the type of hockey they play, and that's why, yeah, if you have a Kachuk on your team, you love it, and he brings a fire to the team, a much needed fire, even when the team's losing. He's a winner, and I think Brady Kachuk is certainly a potential for a captaincy next season. Mm. He's grown so much in. The year and a half he's been in Ottawa, and I think he'll continue to grow. I think this team's going to get better on the ice slowly. A good draft this year will certainly help. There is the potential. I don't know if you've seen this, but a few days ago, Sands and Sharks were 1-2 at the bottom of the standings. Mm. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> that would be something. Anyways, to wrap up on the Sands, I want to bring up, up something that's not on the ice. It's off the ice. The Sens are bottom of the league in attendance. Dead last. Averaging just over 11,000 fans per game. And from someone who is at pretty much every Sens game, it's quite sad to see they build them so empty. And the Sens attendance has been going down for a while now, but compared to last year, they were averaging about 15,000, 16,000 fans a game. So not great for a 20,000 seat building, but not horrible. Where this year it's way down and 11,000 is usually being generous for the Sens. Uh, I really hope that fans will uh, show up a bit more for the Sens because honestly, this is an entertaining team to watch. Yeah, they're going to lose a lot, but if you want to watch some entertaining hockey, the Sens certainly have been supplying that. I really hope that people will look beyond the ownership because there's nothing you can do about that. That's between the NHL ownership group and Eugene Mellon. You got to support these guys. I hope attendance does rise because if you ask any player, they it's no fun playing in a building with 10,000 people in it. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, it's, there's not a lot of expectations this year. You know, like you said, you just hope that, they play hard. They provide a good product on the ice for the fans. Um, and, you know, hopefully uh, they continue to get better uh, year after year. Uh, moving on to the next team, which I think is a 
even though the LA Kings were really bad last year, for me, this team is by far the worst in the league this year, just based on their roster more than anything, the, the Detroit Red Wings. Oh, yeah, the the Red Wings, not as bad as I thought they would be out of the start, actually. They're about the same as the Sens, uh, but that's not saying a whole lot. <laughs> uh, Anthony Mantha has been... Minus 29 goal differential, folks. That's not good. That's not good. No. I will say the one bright spot has been Anthony Mantha, in my opinion. Yeah, oh, he's, he's been terrific. Yeah, yeah, he's a minus seven. But as you mentioned, when your team's a minus twenty nine goals differential, you're going to end up in the minus no matter how good you're playing. But as soon as you get past Tyler Bertuzzi and Anthony Mantha, there really is mm. a, a certain, yeah. uh, a big drop off. And there, there's been there was no expectations for the Red Wings this year. There's a real possibility that they'll out out tank Ottawa this year. I think the, the, here's the scary part about this team, guys. They're probably going to make a few moves to the trade deadline and be even worse. So if you don't mm. think Steve Eiserman is gunning for that top pick, trust me, he is. 100% he is. He knows how much an Alexis Lafreniere, a Quentin Byfield, any of those guys would do for this team going forward. So, I mean, I don't know how much I can say about the Red Wings in terms of what to expect this season. I mean, it's a rebuilding year. They're an extremely young team, a lot of inexperience. They still have some of those veteran contracts um, to deal with. But, you know, overall, their cap situation is definitely improving. Um, And if you look at going into next year, you know, they've got a bunch of RFAs. You know, Anthony Mantha is going to get a raise from 3.3. Athanasiu was at 3. He may stay around there. Philpola, they signed through 2021. 2021, Tyler Bertuzzi, RFA, Adam Ernie, RFA, you know, and then you've got like Perlini, who they just acquired, Mike Green, big contract coming off the books in the offseason. So, yeah, I mean, like just an extremely young team. If you take away Valtteri, Phil Billa, Franz Nielsen, Justin Abdelkader, and Darren Helm, the average age of these forwards is like 23. Mm-hmm. So, like, and it's the same thing. If you take away Mike Green and Alex Biega, the average age of the defenseman is like 24, 25. <laughs> so this is an extremely young team. And they have some good young players. You know, I think they still have a lot of work to do to be a contender. I think this is going to be a three, four-year project here for Stevie Eiserman. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a multi-year project for Stevie Eiserman, even if they get Byfield or Lafreniere, it's still going to be a few years before Detroit even yeah. thinks about yeah. contending. Yeah. Ottawa is certainly ahead of them in the rebuilding phase. I think, here's the difference. Ottawa is in the rebuild year. Detroit's in the tank year. Just look at the last <laughs> 10, and uh, I can back myself up on that one. 1-8-1. One, and one. Oh, It goodness. is not good in Detroit. And, yeah. uh, and fans know it. Fans know that this is a strong draft year, and Detroit could really benefit from getting a top overall pick. All right, so that just about does it. We finally got you our Atlantic Division preview. We've been meaning to get it to you for a while. We're hoping that we're going to be on a more regular schedule going forward. Uh, it is a bit difficult to plan because we're both you know, in different cities. 
Um, but we will do our best to get back on a regular schedule, like I said, the rest of the way. So thank you so much for listening, everyone. You know where to find us. iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, you name it. We're there. Just look for the red, white, and blue logo. Once again, Center Ice is brought to you by the National Podcast Network. Thanks for listening once again, guys. Enjoy the games, and we'll see you next time.